following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. I know that we are just starting out in the Daniel series, but I do want to just take a break from that series for one week, if I can. Just press pause on that series for one week, because I want to circle back to a message that I was going to give a few weeks ago uh, as we kicked off the year and got started. Um, but uh, because of Danielle's passing away, we ended up reshuffling a few things and started the Daniel series a bit earlier. But I want to circle back to this message this morning because it's a message that God has really placed on my heart this year for us as a church. It's a passage of Scripture that God has placed on my heart for us, uh, a Scripture that gives us a picture, that gives us a vision of who we are as a church, uh, who God is calling us to be, and who we are becoming as a church community. And I want to share this with you. I I want to share it early in the year as we're getting started. So this morning, we're not going to be in Daniel, we are going to be in the book of Nehemiah, uh, which is before Daniel in the Bible, but it actually happens after Daniel, just to confuse you. There's actually a connection here, because Daniel, the book that we're working through, happens during the exile, during Israel's exile, during that time that they're in Babylon for 70 years. Nehemiah happens at the end of the exile. After that's over. So you just have to think of fast-forwarding in your mind a little bit here from the the events of Daniel to the time when Israel's exile is over. And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. So if you've brought a Bible with you or you've got a Bible app on your phone or whatever, open it up, Nehemiah 3. We're going to read some verses from that chapter in a minute. But let me just set the scene for you here. So Israel's exile is over. Uh, The majority of Israelites have returned back to Judea, those that could or wanted to, have come back to Jerusalem. Uh, they've rebuilt the wall, uh, the, the, the temple, rather. They've rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, so that's standing now. But what they haven't yet done is rebuild the walls. And as Nehemiah comes back into Jerusalem, he sees that while the temple is there and while the Israelites have reconstructed a lot of their houses and they're living there, the walls of the city are lying in ruins and the gates of the city have been destroyed Um, going back to the time when Israel was first carried into exile. And of course, a city without walls in this time was a city that was vulnerable. It was exposed to enemy attack. It was unfortified. It was insecure. And so a city without walls really became an object of mockery. It was a city that was scorned and despised. It was shameful. It was just a symbol of weakness. And Nehemiah comes back, and he cannot stand the thought that the city of God, Jerusalem, is a city without walls. It's a city that's weak and vulnerable and an object of shame. And so he immediately sets about doing something about this. He starts recruiting the Israelites in this project of rebuilding the walls. Now, let me set this up by reading a little couple of verses from chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 17. This is Nehemiah. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And then what follows in chapter 3 is this beautiful picture of how the rebuilding of the walls actually happened and how this project came together. I'll give you a few verses into chapter 3 just so you get the picture. From verse 1. 
Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshalam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisor. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, you can read the chapter in your own time. I know it sounds just like a list of people and places and so on, but it's a fascinating picture. What you've got here are all of these Israelites, except these guys from Tekoa, who thought they were too good for it, but all the rest of the Israelites, all working shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to shoulder to rebuild the walls of the city. And these are not professionals. These are not professional craftspeople or construction people or tradespeople. These were just ordinary, unskilled laborers doing a whole lot of other things, but they recognized the need for the city of God to be rebuilt. They were Israelites. This was their city. This was their identity. This was their God. And his city, the place he'd chosen to place his name. And they pitched in and they got involved. And you got this wonderful picture of individuals and families and clans working side by side and they'd each take responsibility for a section of the wall. And then you had to make sure, of course, your section, you can't just do it in isolation because you can't just build whatever kind of nice little mosaic you want to build and then someone else does something completely different. You've got to make sure that your section looks like the section next door to yours and connects to that section at some point. So you don't have a whole lot of isolated sections of wall, but one cohesive wall all the way around. Now, you can hear where I'm going with this, can't you? It's not hard. This is a beautiful picture, I think, of the church. This picture in the Old Testament of the Israelites working hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, to rebuild the walls. This is a beautiful picture of what the church in the New Testament is called to do and is called to be. And it's a biblical picture because the church in the New Testament is called the New Jerusalem. That's who we are. That's one of the names the church has given. We are the New Jerusalem. We are the city of God. Not a physical city, not made of bricks and mortar, but we are as a people of God. We are the place where the presence of God dwells, the location of God's presence, and God's presence flows out or should flow out from us to the world to bless and to minister to and to bring faith and hope and love to the world. We are the dwelling place of God's presence. We are the city of God. And so, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, God calls us to rebuild and build up the walls of the city of God, the walls of the new Jerusalem today. We are called to be wall builders. We are called to be wall builders of the church. And our walls are not physical walls, because the church isn't a building. But our walls, the walls around the church, so to speak, are walls of ministry, and their walls of mission, and their walls of the gospel, gospel-centered ministry, gospel-centered mission, all of the things that happen that make the church the church. All of the things that God has called the church to do and to be in the world. And for us, that's all of the things that we do that make us a church, that make us a local church. All the things that go on, all the serving, all the encouraging, all the helping, 
All the caring, all the blessing, all the edifying, all the organizing and the administrating and the operating and the managing and the reaching out and the sharing and the discipling and the evangelizing, all of those things. That's what make us the church. Those are our walls. They're not walls that are supposed to keep people out, though. Sometimes we think about that. You think about the walls of a city, but they're not like those walls. These are walls that are supposed to reach out to the world. These are walls that enable us to form bridges with the world so that we can extend the gospel, so that we can share the love of Jesus with other people and extend the kingdom of God on earth. And we as a church, we already have a lot of really good walls in our church. A lot of ministry, and we're 19 years old now as a church, celebrate our 20th anniversary next year. And there have been a lot of faithful people over those 19 years who have invested in the life of our church and have helped in God's strength to build up walls of ministry and serving teams and ministries that have flourished and people that have given time and energy and resource and have enabled our church to, to flourish and to thrive and to move forward and have built strong walls. And as we stand here at the beginning of another year, we've got a sense that God is leading us to build some new walls, not only to raise up and build higher the existing walls, but also to move in some new directions, to do some new things. We've got a sense as leaders that God's calling us in some new directions and to start construction on some new walls. So I want to share a few of them with you, some new walls that God's calling us to build, walls of ministry in our church. One of them, Michael's already talked you through uh, briefly this morning, the relaunch of our teaching resources ministry, and there's going to be a lot involved in that. We'll keep talking about it as we roll it out, but the idea is that we extend out the physical congregation that's here on a Sunday morning to include a much broader digital congregation that access our teaching resources in a whole range of ways that we can be a blessing to individuals and to house churches and congregations, life groups, churches around the country and around the world with biblical teaching content. And that's going to take us getting involved and that's going to require new people and it's going to require new resources, but this is one of the walls that God's calling us to build. We've got an amazing homeless ministry that many of you are starting to hear about. A um, group of people led by Joe Jay in our church who go out on Friday nights up and down Queen Street uh, giving away food and bottled water to those living on the streets. It's an amazing ministry. I went out with those guys a few weeks ago and you just have that sense, those of you that have already been out with the team, you have that sense that this, if Jesus was here, that's where he'd be. That's the sense I had. That's where he'd be. He'd be among the least and the last and the lost, and he'd be serving. It's so grassroots. It's incredibly simple, really, what they're doing. It's food, it's water, it's conversation, sometimes it's prayer. But it's an incredible ministry. And we want to see that ministry flourish in our church. We want to bring around Joe and the small team that he's got, more people. We want to bring resourcing around that ministry so that it can really grow, it can, it can thrive, and it can expand. And that's going to take more people and that's going to take more resources. But this is a ministry that's been birthed in the heart of one or two people in our church. Amazing gospel-centered ministry. Exactly the kind of thing that Jesus would have us to do. We're going to talk more specifically about the homeless ministry in a couple of weeks. Talk about some ways that you can get involved in that. We're praying by God's grace this year that he brings us a building. Uh, that he would bring us a, a, a place that would be both a ministry center for us and a community center. Probably not a Sunday morning venue unless... One or two of you have got a spare million or two that you can put in the offering today. That'd be great. But short of that, a community center, a ministry center, a place where church ministry can happen, a place where community can come. Community groups can meet and gather, maybe even have offices 
and that can form an intersection between the church and the community so that we can build relationships, so that as a church we can keep on having a redemptive presence in our local community and be a genuine blessing to the community and the community groups around us. We're exploring at the moment the idea of introducing another CAP course, Christians Against Poverty. It's a great partner for us. We already run two of their courses, CAP Jobs and CAP Money. We're looking at a third this year. CAP's just rolling out a new course in New Zealand, CAP Life Skills. And it looks really good, I think, looking through the material. It's a good holistic kind of course. There's a bit of everything, problem solving, finance, relationships, just day-to-day making good decisions, and uh, the kind of thing that equips people with a range of practical skills And CAP is so good at then leading people ultimately to the hope that's found in Christ and moving people, helping people move in that direction. So we're doing some due diligence on that course at the moment, and we may well launch that in the course of this year. And if we do, again, we'll need a CAP coach, someone to head up that course, helpers around that course. These are just some of the things that we've got to sense God's calling us to build some new walls, to start on some new projects that will start us in some new directions and build on a lot of the good existing ministry. That's going to happen. That is happening. But for this to happen, for the existing ministries of our church to flourish, for these new ministries to pop up, we need to become the kind of church that we see in Nehemiah 3. We need to take hold of that picture and enable that to be who we practically are as a church. In this this chapter, there's not a small group of people rebuilding all of the walls and then a big group of people standing around watching them build the walls. It's everybody. There's only the one group of people from Tekoa, the nobles who thought they were too important for the work, they they, they don't do anything. But everyone else is involved and they're working side by side and they are contributing to this. They are active, they're engaged, they're participating, they're contributing. This is who we need to be as a church. This is who God is calling us to be as a church if we are going to move forward and if we are going to thrive in the days ahead. That means it takes everybody who says, Shore Community Church is my church home. Everybody who names this church as their church home, rolling up their sleeves and picking up some stones and building some walls. Not physical walls, but some walls of ministry and some walls of mission. It means everybody being a participating, contributing member of our church family. That's the only way we're going to move forward. We're not going to be a spectator church anymore. We're not going to be a consumer church anymore. We're not going to be a parasite church. We are going to be a church of people who are functional, contributing, fully engaged members of this body, this body of Christ who are rolling up their sleeves and saying, how can I connect? How can I get involved? How can I help build these walls up? Not because I told you to, not because you heard it in a sermon, but because we love the city of God and we love the Lord and He loves the church and He calls us to love the church too and give our best to the flourishing of kingdom ministry in this world. So I want to just mention briefly this morning two ways, two ways at Shore this year and the years ahead that you can be a wall builder with us at Shore. Just two simple things from this text. The first is simply through serving, through serving in ministry in the church. Just come back to this chapter for a minute, Nehemiah 3. I want to just point out some of the more interesting people that participate in building some of these walls. Have a look down in verse 8. Uziel, son of... Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section 
and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. Now think about this guy, Hananiah. He's a perfume maker. He's got these delicate little perfumey hands, and he just makes perfume all day. Now he could have said, this whole building the walls gig is not really my thing. Right? I'm a perfume maker. I don't do building walls. You know, that's probably the last thing that he wanted to get involved in. He could have said, what I will do is at the end of every day, I'll spray perfume on everybody so they don't stink when they go home. That's my ministry, the ministry of perfume spraying. But he didn't see that, say that. What did he do? He got involved and he stepped up and he said, hey, I'm a perfume maker and this is completely incompatible with my professional skills, but I'm just going to get involved because there's walls here that need to be built. And I'm part of the people of God, and I'm going to get stuck in, and I'm going to do it. See, there, I think there are some of you that are waiting for the perfect ministry to come along. You're waiting for perfume-making ministries to come along. You're waiting for something that's a perfect compatibility with your personality profile and your gift mix. Or you're waiting for the ministry under the perfect circumstances to happen, perfect operations or whatever it is that you're wanting for ministry. And until that happens, you're holding back. But we need, to, we need a church of Hananiahs. We need a church of people that say, hey, it's not a perfect project, and I'm not a perfect person, and this is maybe not quite aligned with who I am, but I love the city of God, and I'm one of the people of God. So by God's grace, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and start picking up some stones and building some walls. This is what we need. We need Hananiahs in our church. Let me just mention Sunday mornings. Just to do what we do here on Sunday morning, it takes at least, every week, at least 60 people. So that's across worship team, set up, pack down, hospitality team, and all of our kids' ministry through, through to grapple and youth as well. At least 60 people, often more. And if we put people on a monthly rotation, that's 240 people that we need just, just to make Sundays happen. And I know there's many of you, many, 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 that are already serving and you're already involved, and you're engaged, and you're on a serving team, and you're contributing, and that's wonderful, and we thank you for that. But I wanted to speak to those of you that are not yet. You're in this church, and you're coming along, but you're not yet involved in serving. See, the chair that you're sitting on this morning is put out for you by a volunteer. And the carpet that your feet are resting on was put out by a volunteer. And we've been worshipping to a band made up of volunteers. And you're listening to me through a PA system run by a volunteer. And you're looking at a screen operated by a volunteer. And your kids are being served by volunteers. And after church, you can have a cup of coffee given to you by a volunteer. It's all volunteers. Now, I know you don't think your time is more valuable than theirs. But when you sit there and do nothing, that's the message you're sending. So I want to be honest with you. If you're here and you're not serving, it's time to step up. It's time to step up. No more spectators. If you're able-bodied and there is something that you can do in the life of this church, it's time to step up and get involved. Don't wait for the perfect ministry to come along. Just find a way and get involved and start serving. That's what it's going to take to rebuild these walls. Now, have another look in this chapter. Another guy to point out to you. Have a look in verse 12. Shalom, son of Helohesh, ruler of over half a district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Well, 
I can imagine they would have probably found some better ways to spend their time as well. Probably wall building wasn't high on their list. Maybe it was. I don't know. But isn't it a wonderful picture? Here's a guy who says, hey, girls, I know you'd rather be doing something else, but we've got some walls to build, so let's go. Pick up some stones. Let's do it. It's a beautiful picture to me of a family that's serving together, that's getting involved and contributing. It's a wonderful thing. When I get down here at 7 in the morning on a Sunday to see our setup teams arriving at that stage, and sometimes I see dads that are down there with their kids. It's fantastic. I mean, if they're awake anyway. You know, why, why put up with them at home? Bring them down. Bring them down. Even if you're not on the team, just bring them down. You know, just ha- they can help. And it's great. They're, you know what they're doing is instilling that value of serving. And you've all looked around after church on Sunday and you've seen the kids that put the carpet on the trolleys and stack a few chairs. And I know sometimes they slow it down and you have to go and do it again. But that's not the point. The point is that we're teaching our children what it means to be part of a church. But they're not spectators either. They're not consumers of a church where you just come and you get something like the teaching and you go away and then do nothing. We're all in this together. And it's a wonderful way. If you can find a way of serving as a family, I know that's not every ministry or every opportunity, but if you find a way of serving as a family, it's a fantastic way of instilling in your kids, teaching the next generation what it means to serve, what it means to contribute, to be part of a local church. Last group of people to mention. It's getting very quiet in here. Last group of people to mention, verse 7. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Meranoth, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Now, let me just quick show of hands. How many of you would drive 20 minutes or more to get to church on a Sunday? Any? 20, that's, see, that's a lot. Of, look around at the hands. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of commuters in our church. We tend to have more of a regional spread as a church, not a tightly defined neighborhood church, so we have a lot of commuters. But guess what? So did Nehemiah. You read through this chapter. This trans-Euphrates area, these people that built the walls, a lot of them weren't from the local area. Some people were. Some people built the wall right opposite their house. But you have these other people, people from Jericho, people from some of the surrounding regions that travel great distances to get to Jerusalem, not because it's their local neighborhood, but because they're part of God's people and they love Jerusalem, they love the city, and they want to be part of building up the walls. So if you're a commuter, don't let that hold you back. Don't feel like I'm too far away, can't do it, can't make it work. If you truly feel like you are too far away to be able to serve, in all honesty, it may be better to look for a church closer to home. Better to be in a place, better to be in a church where you can be fully involved and engaged and serving. We love for you to be here, but don't feel like being at a geographical distance holds you back from ministry. Yeah, you've got to be smart about it. Might be better to get involved in something on Sunday morning, so it's all just one unit of time. Maybe you could help start a life group in your area. We're trying to do this a bit more. There's a need for another one further north. There's a need for another one out west. Could you lead a group? Could you host a group? Could you just be in a group? to help get a group off the ground. We need these people. And commuters, this can be something you can do. Help us establish little satellite groups around the place so we can form community. But don't let the physical distance hold you back. We need all of our commuters engaged as well. So let me just give you a little challenge around serving. And by the way, I know a lot of you are doing things that are outside of the organized ministries of the church. I want to acknowledge that. I know a lot of you do a ton of cooking for the church, people in the church, a ton of baking for people in the church. You're just helping people all over the place, but it's outside of the formal ministries of the church. That's fantastic. Please don't feel like that's not a legitimate form of ministry. That's wonderful stuff. 
We need both the informal ministry to happen and we need people in our organized serving teams to help the church thrive. So can I just challenge you this year that if you're not yet serving or even if you are, if we would all give at least one hour a week to serving somewhere in this church, if we all committed to that, to one hour, on average a week, you could average that out, do half a day, a month, whatever you wanted to do. But if we all served one hour a week, we would see the existing walls, ministries of our church be built higher. We would have fully stocked teams of volunteers across our church, and we would be able to step into some of these new opportunities because we'd have the people putting up their hands to say, I can be involved and I can make this happen. Would you think about that? Would you consider giving an hour of your time this year to the church and figure out a way of making that happen by connecting into a serving team? I'm going to talk to you in a minute about how you can do that, how you can take a practical step. For now, though, I want to just mention a second area, a second way in which we can be wall builders in the church. Serving is a vital one, and the second way is giving. And I know that people get nervous when we talk about giving in the church, and you might be thinking of churches that just talk too much about giving, and it becomes a fixation and an obsession. And you may be in this church because you've been in situations like that, and you don't want that anymore, and you don't want this to be all about money. And it's not. Money is not our driving force. It's not our focus. It's not an obsession. But at the same time, it's not something we're going to sweep under the rug. It's not something we're just going to ignore because it's part of church life. It's part of doing ministry in the real world. So we've just got to learn to have some adult conversation about this topic, don't we, around giving? Giving is one of the vital ways in which you can participate in the life of the church, in which you can be a wall builder in the church. It's part of being in a church family, is sharing the responsibility, the financial responsibility for the ministries of the church. And to be honest, it's just part of being a Christian. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. Let me just read you a verse in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in, sp- in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's interesting that the giving is just mentioned there right alongside other virtues of the Christian life, like faith and love and knowledge. But a lot of the time, we would rather pursue faith and love and knowledge than we would the virtue of giving. But it's just part of being a Christian. It's just part of loving Jesus, is being prepared to give and as part of our giving, to give to the local church that God has placed us in. It's a grace because it comes out of the grace that God has given us and it should be an expression of our gratitude to Him that we release a portion of the finance He's given us. We acknowledge that it's all from Him anyway. Everything we have is from God anyway. And so we release a percentage of what He has given us to pour back into the ministry of the church so the walls of ministry and mission here can be built higher and new walls can be built. As a church, we're reliant on the funding from within the congregation. As a church, we, this is, it's our responsibility. We are the ones that carry the financial costs of the church forward, and we're dependent on that congregational funding. Now, over the last few years, giving had increased in our church steadily, 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 and then last year it plateaued. It just, just flattened out last year. And then if you look in your bulletins this morning, you'll see at the moment, at this point in time, we're about 17 grand behind budget. Now, that's not where we want to be at this point in the year. That's not where we want to be. And that's starting to put strain on the ministries and the operations of the church. I don't say this to guilt trip you. I don't say this to make you feel bad. But I want to be honest with you and transparent with you. 
about where we're at. And for us to move forward, it is just like serving. It's going to take everyone who's part of this church and who is drawing an income to say, I'm going to be a wall builder and I'm going to be a faithful giver into the life of Shaw Community Church. So can I just say a brief word to two groups of you that might be here this morning? Firstly, if you are part of our church community and you're not yet giving, I want to encourage you to start. I want to encourage you to start today to set up a system of doing that. doesn't matter if you are an employee, an employer, contract, part-time, full-time, whatever. If you are earning, if you are a Christian, if you are part of our church community, there is a way for you to be giving. There's a way for you to be giving into the life of the church. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about that, not, not haphazard, but to decide on a percentage of your income or your household income that you will contribute to the church. 10% is a good guide in Scripture. It's only a guide. That's what we call a tithe. It means tenth. It's not a rigid rule in Scripture, but it's a good guide. But decide on that amount, that percentage, and then set up a system, a reliable system. So not just when you happen to remember it, not just when you happen to have change in your pocket, but a system, for most people online is the best, of giving that regularly and systematically into the church. I know if you've never done this before, if you're starting from scratch, I know you sort of sit there and you just feel like this is impossible. How on earth am I going to find 10% of my income to be able to give to the church? And this is where there's no question and there's no hiding the fact that it does take financial sacrifice. There's no question. It took sacrifice for the Israelites to build those walls. It wasn't easy. It's going to take sacrifice for us today to build up the walls of ministry and mission. It comes at a cost. So it is going to mean looking at your household budget carefully. It may mean redoing the budget or actually creating a budget to keep you on track. It's not going to be easy. It might mean looking at that big purchase that you've been saving up for and putting it on hold. It might mean looking at that holiday that you are hoping to have this year and putting it on hold. It might mean a little bit less fast food, coffee, might mean the Sky TV has to go. I don't know what it means, but you look at the budget. But I'll tell you this, if you're willing to step out in faith and release a portion of what God has given you back into the local church, it's not only good for you, uh, for the church, it's good for you. It's good for your faith. It strengthens your faith because then you start to know God as your provider. And that grip that we have on our finances and our stuff that we hold on to with white knuckles and we feel like no one has the right to tell me what I do with my money. Not even God. It starts to be released a little bit. We start to let go. And something shifts in our heart. And we start to discover what it means to store up treasures in heaven and not just on earth. It does something so good for our faith. We start to know God as our provider. We start to know him as the one that we can trust. We start to really discover him as the one who is faithful and we discover what faith is so i want to encourage you if you're not yet giving start today decide on the percentage set up the system and please make that happen if you're part of our church community secondly let me just say a word to those of you who are giving in some way at some level but you know in your heart of hearts that you're really just giving god the leftovers that it's just a tiny little bit here and there and it's maybe at the end of the month, if there's something left, you kind of give that. Or, it's just, or maybe you were giving, but your salary's gone up quite a bit since then. And guess what? The giving hasn't gone up. If you're in that category, I want to encourage you this year to give God your first fruits. It's a principle drawn from the Old Testament. When the Israelites brought their grain, brought their crops, brought their, their finances to the temple, they were commanded to give God their first fruits, the first and the best of their crops. 
The first and the best of the harvest. The first and the best of, of the grain. Whatever it was, the first and the best. And God calls us to bring our first fruits into his kingdom, to bring the first fruits to the local church that he's placed us in. That means giving should be among our top financial priorities. So often the church is the last thing. And that means if things get a little bit tighter, it's the first thing to go. If it's between the church or Sky TV, church loses every time. We've got to turn this around. God calls us to bring our first fruits, and that means saying giving will be my top financial priority. And other things are just going to have to be shuffled around that. And again, if you do this, you will find that God is faithful and he honors you for that commitment that you've made. And I can testify to this. Anna and I can testify to this. We don't find tithing any easier than any of you. I remember we've been married 17 years now. I remember the year before we got married, we did pre-marriage course with a couple that we knew. And one of the things we did in the pre-marriage course was you have to set a budget for your first year of marriage. And you list all your expenses and so on. And so we did this, and we put in a tithe. There. We didn't even know what church we were going to be going to at the time, but we put in a tithe there, a contribution towards local church. I was just about to go into my first job, earning 35K. Anna was still going to be studying, so not earning anything. And we allocated that amount. And then I remember at the end of the evening, the budget didn't balance. Like it was off by, I think, a couple of grand, and it just the expenses did not match the <laughs> income. And from memory, I think we didn't really resolve that that night. We just kind of left it and, okay, we're just going to have to trust God with this. You know, in that first year of marriage, we saved money. I don't say that to say anything great about me, but we saved money. Somehow in the providence of God, he, he looked after us. He enabled us to fulfill our commitment of tithing. And he sustained us and enabled us to put money aside. And we have seen year after year after year, the faithfulness of God as we've continued to protect that money, that percentage for the church that he's placed us in. I remember when we went and got a mortgage for our house. And you know, you sit down with the bank manager and you've got to list out all your expenses again so they can decide how much they're going to lend you. And the banking consultant called me up later on. And she said, I just want to follow up. just want to ask you about this expense. I'm just going through your expenses. just want to ask you about this thing called a tithe. What's, what's that about? So I gave her a theology lesson, and I didn't really. But we talked about it, and I said, it's a voluntary contribution to the church. And you could just tell she was really confused about this. And she said, is it like a hire purchase kind of thing? Is it like, are you locked into a contract with this? Can you get out of that somehow? And, and we said, no, well, you know, it's a voluntary contribution. So in theory, we could stop at any time, but we're not going to. This is our commitment to our local church. And you could just tell that she thought we were just weird. Because, of course, the implication is, if we were willing to cut that back, or ditch that, the bank's going to give you more money. And we could have got a bigger house. But we have seen God be faithful in our lives. Doesn't mean that we've had everything that we want financially, but we've seen God meet our needs and meet the needs of our family as we've sought to be faithful to tithing. Again, I can hope you, hope you can hear my heart. I'm not setting up, us up as some great spiritual models because we struggle with this just as much as any of you. It's just as hard for us to part with our hard-earned cash as it is for any of you. But I want to just ask you, as those who are part of our church community, would you step into this this year? If you're not yet engaged in giving, or if you're just giving God kind of the dregs of your finances, would you make a plan and be intentional about sowing your resources into the life of the church. Because as we all become faithful givers, 
willing givers in the church. Again, we will see resources be able to be given, not only to our existing ministries, but to some of these new ministries that we are believing God's calling us to. But we're, we're praying and trusting Him for the resources to come together. And it's just going to take all those who are part of our church being faithful and obedient. You don't need to wait till God moves your heart on this. You don't need to wait for a special feeling or the Holy Spirit to tell you. He's told you in His Word, you just need to be obedient. That's all it takes. You know, after Nehemiah and the Israelites did this, after they finally, finally finished this huge project of building the walls right around Jerusalem, you know what they did? They had a massive party. Huge, big celebration. And in fact, you read Nehemiah 12, it says the sound of their rejoicing could be heard far, far away. And that is my prayer for us as a church family. That when our days on this earth are done and we hand on this church to our children and our grandchildren, to the next generation coming after us, that we will be able to celebrate because we'll leave these walls of ministry higher than when we were here. And we will see new walls and we'll be able to point to sections of walls of ministry and mission and say, hey, by God's grace, I was involved in that. And by God's grace, we put that gate in place. And you remember that ministry team and we got this up and running and we helped to resource that and we'll be able to celebrate the good ministry that God has done. It's all glory to Him. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain, but God works through His people and He calls us to be wall builders. And what that takes in the present is for us to be a church of Nehemiah 3, to be a church of wall builders, a church of people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and say, whether or not it's my perfect ministry, whether or not it's something that satisfies me, I'm going to invest in the life of the church that God has called me to be a part of. I'm going to give the best. I'm going to bring the best of what's left of the rest of my life to this because I love Jesus and Jesus loves the church. That should be enough for us. So may we become a community of wall builders. Not because I'm telling you, but because we believe in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the church of God. And we desire to see God's kingdom extended on earth. Let's be a community of wall builders together as we head into this year and then beyond in the years to come. Now, I want to give you a really practical way of responding to this this morning. So I'm going to ask those people handing out, we've got a little, little form, a little flyer that we're going to pass around now, and I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to have a look at this and consider your response. Because I know how easy it is to hear a message like this and you feel like, gosh, that was a challenging message, and you go home and do absolutely nothing about it. I know how easy that is. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond here and now, if you possibly can. You're going to get a form. And by the way, there are some pens at the end of each row in those containers you thought were communion trays. They've actually got pens in them. If you, if you need a pen, just pass those down the row. On one side of this form, it's very simple. On one side of the form, it says serving. And that's a list of opportunities to serve right now. So that's not an exhaustive list of all the ministries we have in the church, but these are opportunities right now where we need people and where there are opportunities. By the way, one thing that should be on that list that's not, and Michael mentioned it, are the media operators for teaching resources ministry. So if you want to get involved in that, just write that in. Or if there's another area you want to get involved in that's not there, just write that in. But areas to serve right now. If you would be willing to serve in one of those areas this year in some way, please tick that box and fill out your details. And someone will come back to you and talk in more detail about what that'll look and working around your schedule and all those kinds of things. I know there's stuff to work through there. But if you'd give us an initial indication. And then on the other side, it says giving. 
And that's really a reminder as much as anything of the different ways that you can give it. Sure, a couple of options to tick there if you wanted to give a one-off gift or if you wanted to get a giving number so that you can be receipted. But really, that's just there by way of reminding you how you can get connected into being a faithful giver in the life of our church. So I'm going to ask Grant and John O'Neill to come up, just play a little bit of music for us for a couple of minutes. Uh, give you a couple of minutes before we sing our final song just to look over those forms, just to pray. If you're already fully engaged and serving and giving in the church, fantastic. Just take the time to pray for others around you. Pray for our church. Pray that God would continue to bring us the people and the resources to do the work He's called us to do. Uh, while these guys are playing, we're going to watch a short video. Just highlights some of the ways of serving in a local church. This isn't actually going to be our church, by the way, that you're going to see on the video. They've got much better coffee than us. But it just shows you some of the things that go on, particularly on a Sunday morning that are required to make this church happen. So let's consider and pray and respond. And by the way, the opportunity will then be to put these forms in a box at the door before you leave, if you can possibly do that. Because if you take it home, the chance of you giving it back are going to come way down. So uh, put it in one of the boxes at the door before you leave, if you would. Jesus, we thank you that you have said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades cannot stand against it. So Jesus, amidst everything that I've been saying this morning, we want to lift our eyes up to you again and acknowledge that this is your church, that we are your people, and that you are building your church, and your church will succeed. Your church will prevail because it's yours. So Jesus, help us to be always mindful of that. And under your lordship and under your headship of our church, Lord, would you empower us to be faithful servants and ministers. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you just move our hearts this morning in the way that you would want us to respond. I pray, Lord, that there would be no condemnation and no legalism about this at all, but just your faithful people stepping into faithful ministry. And we thank you, Jesus, that we build these walls in your strength with Christ as our cornerstone. And so we give you all the glory in our church forever. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.